Hi there, and welcome to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you for being here, being a proactive parent, and getting the resources that you need to help your child get the optimum results in autism recovery. And there is a lot to know, and uh, as you know, I've recovered my own son, and I've been through this journey myself, and it took me over a decade to figure it out. After being told that my son could not recover and that I should drug him and try behavioral therapies, but I didn't want to do that that because of my my natural background in craniosacral therapy, I knew that the brain could heal. So fortunately, like you, I went out and I gathered the resources that I needed and I continued and I didn't give up and today my son's fully recovered and now I want to be there to share these resources with you so you can get the optimum results for your child, whatever they may be. And I've created a free online workshop called The Four Stages to Naturally Recover from Autism. And it's for you to learn what is necessary because it's much more than just diet. And I want to make sure you know everything that needs to happen for full recovery. Uh, Stage one is healing the gut. Stage two is natural heavy metal detoxification. Stage three is clearing the co-infections like mold, Lyme, strep. And then stage four is is the brain support and repair. These are all important factors, not just one alone. So I want to make sure that you're able to, uh, I can can, uh, explain that to you in this free workshop, and then you can register at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop, and that is available to you right now. So please, please take advantage of it. And I'm excited that you're here because, again, today we have a special guest with us, Dr. Beth O'Hara, and I'll give you a little bit of her background in a moment. We've had Dr. Beth O'Hara on before where we talked about mast cell activation, and we'll explain that to you again today because today's topic is on histamine sensitivities in autism. And now these are really, really important. They can be some of the reasons why your child continues to have physical uh, health issues, especially things like skin rashes and eczema, et cetera, but also why they have behavioral outbursts of anger or they can't sleep. And uh, histamines can be one of the big triggers, but you have to know you know, it, when they, those things are arising. So we're going to give you uh, some good background and some solutions today and explain all of that for you so that you can know more for your own child. Uh, Dr. Beth O'Hara is a functional naturopath specializing in complex chronic health conditions related to mast cell activation, including autism spectrum disorders, mold toxicity, histamine intolerance, and chemical sensitivities. She is the founder and owner of MassCell 360, a functional naturopathy practice designed to look at all factors surrounding health conditions, genetic, biochemical, mental, emotional, social, and environmental. She is a doctoral candidate in functional naturopathy through the New Eden School of Natural Health, and she holds a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and a bachelor's in physiology, psychology. She is certified in functional genomic analysis, and she is research advisor for the Nutrigenomic Research Institute. She presents at functional medicine conferences and will be speaking next at the 2019 Environmental Toxins and Genomics Conference. And uh, Beth, I'd like to welcome you. And again, I appreciate you being here, and I I really appreciate your time and your expertise in these subjects and and helping um, to share these resources with these parents who have children with autism. So thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much, Karen. I'm really excited that we can team up together and really help some um, a lot of kids' lives here. 
Yeah, absolutely. And make a difference because it is it is literally about life changing um, results that can happen for children. So why don't we start from the beginning? Okay, a lot of people and I will link to today's show notes at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 50 Today is show number 50. That's very exciting. Um, but I do want to make sure um, that, you know, that you know that the links that we talked about are there. So if you're driving your car, or you're out on a walk that, that, that you can find the links there because I'll link to uh, Beth's resources as well and our last episode on mast cell activation. So Beth, maybe as we're talking about histamine intolerance and explaining that, also um, just give a little bit of background on mast cell activation. Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to go into that. How about we start with what uh, histamine is? Okay. Okay. So our bodies naturally make histamine, and histamine is also found in many foods. And histamine is made in the body by mast cells, which is a type of immune cell. There's a couple others as well that make um, histamine, but mast cells are the best known. And histamine is a really important part of the immune response. So I want to emphasize that histamine is not the enemy, just like mast cells are not the enemy. So we need histamine for our bodies to work properly. And histamine is involved in opening the blood vessels so the white blood cells can enter to attack foreign invaders. It's involved as a neurotransmitter and helps regulate sleep. It's involved in reproductive cycles and cardiovascular systems and the respiratory and digestive systems. So it's really critical in our bodies, but just like anything, too much of a good thing is too much, and so too much histamine can cause problems. So histamine intolerance is where the body has more histamine than it can break down. And there's two main pathways that we'll talk about in the body that break down histamine, two lesser-known pathways, and if any of those pathways aren't working, histamine can build up to high levels and cause symptoms. And the way this histamine intolerance is related to mast cell activation syndrome is that those mast cells, again, release histamine, but they can also release over 200 different inflammatory molecules. Histamine is just the best known. So mast cell activation syndrome happens when the immune cells become overreactive, overresponsive, which can happen in chronic infections, chronic stress, toxicity. So a number of factors that can impact that immune system. So that mast activation syndrome is when the mast cells are overproducing inflammation in general, whereas histamine intolerance is an issue just with not being able to keep up with the histamine load and break it down. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So, um, so when you have, what is when you get histamine intolerance, or what can what can cause it? What can be some of the reasons? And of course, we'll look at some of the symptoms as well that parents can look for. Sure. So, there's a number of causes, and what's interesting is they're very similar to what what can cause mass activation syndrome. And I want to back up and say that people can have just histamine intolerance, or they can have just mast cell activation syndrome. A lot of times people have both. So I often see in my practice when people think they just have histamine intolerance, they often also have mast cell activation syndrome, especially people on the autism spectrum. I frequently see both, and we can talk about that. 
Um, but mass activation syndrome is extremely, extremely common with the autism spectrum disorders. So some of the things that can cause histamine intolerance are really high histamine diets, um, medications that block histamine enzymes, gut issues, and genetic issues. So we can get into um, more detail on those. Okay, we actually need to take a short break right here, but when we come back, we'll get right back into the causes because I think that's a really, really important thing to know for parents because maybe you can eliminate some of the causes and then you can eliminate some of the triggers and not have some of these reactions. So you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom. Hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas and today we are talking with Dr. Beth O'Hara about histamine sensitivities in autism. And right before the break we started to get into some of the causes. So why don't we start again with the causes in case somebody missed the first segment and um, and just uh, maybe uh, Dr. O'Hara if you could just give us some of the, um, the the general causes that that we know are triggers for histamines and uh, and what parents might want to look for. Sure. So let me give you just thinking about people being in their cars and helping things um, helping you visualize this. So I'll kind of give us a list of the causes and then we can go into details on them. So some of the major causes are eating a really high histamine diet issues with the histamine degrading enzymes. So that can be a genetic issue or that can be where medications affect those enzymes. Um, low nutrient status, I see that a lot with people on limited diets and chronic infections, toxicity, especially mold toxicity, hormone disruptions and stress and EMFs. So that's a lot of root causes and they're really similar also in mast cell activation syndrome. And then when I think about Autism spectrum disorders, they're the same root causes that we see there. So it's all overlapping there. Yeah, and these are their food intolerances. And most of our kids with autism have low nutrients uh, because their their guts aren't working properly, so they have poor absorption. Um, so they they are you know usually mineral deficient, et cetera. And um, and then mold is one of the big triggers for for autism as well, the the mold uh, biotoxin issue. And then you mentioned EMF. So that's why don't we go through these like you said uh, individually because they're they're all individually important. So um, can you give us a little background on each then? Yeah, for sure. So let's start with the high histamine foods. And because we're talking about histamine intolerance, I'm going to uh, hone in here on high histamine foods. But when we look at mast cell activation syndrome, 
it involvement with this and involvement with autism spectrum disorders. Of course, we have other things like oxalates and glutamates that can be a factor. But if we're just looking at the histamine foods, I see a lot of people excuse me, on the autism spectrum often getting worse symptoms with the gut healing protocols that are out there. They use a lot of fermented vegetables and bone broth and things like kefir and kombucha. And I'm not saying that, you know, those are bad or nobody should have them. If you don't have histamine issues, those are wonderful gut healing tools. But if you have histamine issues, they cause worse symptoms. And I got way worse myself when I started eating all of those foods. I started getting a lot of itching. My sleep got worse. I was getting increased inflammation. And this was back 15 years ago before anyone was talking about histamine intolerance and mass activation. So it took a really long time for me to figure out that's what was going on. And one of the things that can be tricky about figuring out if your child has histamine intolerance is that the reactions can be delayed up to two days. So some people have immediate reactions. But some people, it's about that histamine bucket and the total levels building and building in the body. And so if your child has bone broth one day but doesn't have anything for um, high histamine, they might be fine. But if the next day they had bone broth and some fish and some ground meat and some strawberries, then that might tip the bucket and make the bucket, the histamine bucket overflow. So that's one of the things there is this... Um, high histamine consumption and also in our modern society we eat a lot of packaged foods we eat a lot of processed foods Um, meat might sit around in the grocery for several days or even sometimes seven to ten days before we buy it and so that the histamine levels in our foods are much higher than they used to be so that's one piece then the next piece has to do with these histamine degrading enzymes So I'm going to talk about the two major ones, which are DAO, and that stands for diamine oxidase, and then HNMT, and that stands for histamine N-methyltransferase. And then there's two other pathways involving uh, MAO and acetylation. But if we focus on these two major ones, so the DAO is made in the brush border cells of the gut. And anything that causes intestinal inflammation is going to affect DAO production. So this can be things like wheat and dairy or any other foods that are inflammatory to your child. So that's going to cause gut inflammation. That's going to affect that DAO production. Any kind of gut infections, whether we're talking about SIBO, candida, clostridia infections, some of the viral gut infections, anything like that can was going to cause inflammation, affect DAO. And even digestive issues where we have lack of the right digestive enzymes, like not enough betaine HCL or not enough of the fat-degrading enzymes or the carbohydrate-degrading enzymes, some of the pancreatic enzymes. This will affect DAO production. And so DAO is really breaking that histamine down in the gut before it can get through the intestinal wall into the bloodstream. And we need quite a bit of DAO to be able to keep up with our histamine. And then that other enzyme, HNMT, is involved with methylation. And there's an oversimplification that's occurred around histamine and methylation, which has been 
um, people have thought that undermethylation equals histamine intolerance, overmethylation equals no histamine issues. And this is because methylation is needed to make that HNMT enzyme work. So if you don't have enough methyl donors, HNMT doesn't work. If you have a lot of methyl donors, so you're overmethylated, HNMT should be working better. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. So I see plenty of clients who are overmethylated have histamine issues, and it may be because of the DAO enzyme or some other factors. So we can't go with that simplification that's been out there for a long time. And I just want to really point that out because I had a client on the autism spectrum who he's 16, I think he's 17 now. And when he first came in to see me, he had been, it had been assumed that because he was on the spectrum, he must be undermethylated and he was put on histamine raising supplements because of that assumption, and it wasn't true for him. So he was on high-dose niacin and some other things to bring that histamine up. He was so agitated, Karen. He couldn't hardly sit still. He had to pace. He was just having major histamine reactions. His skin was flushing. If he just had a little scratch, it would be red and swollen. So when we switched those supplements, things started to calm down. Yeah, that's that. Um, I even noticed that I'm very, you mentioned fermented foods, and we can talk about foods in more detail uh, in the show as well. But um, when I, if I have even too much kombucha, I'll notice that it it really affects me because I have the histamine sensitivity. So I, I just really limit my intake. And when parents come into my program, they're always thinking, should I give them a bunch of fermented foods? I'm like, no, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. try it a <laughs> tablespoon and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we'll- Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. And today we are talking with Dr. Beth O'Hara on histamines and uh, histamine sensitivities for autism. And we have... Uh, been talking through a couple of the the causes before in, in the last segment, and um, and it's important to know that this is not a cookie cutter approach. Like uh, Dr. Harry, you were mentioning that that uh, one doctor assumed that a child needed more histamine because of maybe the MTHFR issue, and and again, I can link in methylation, and I can link in the show notes to uh, to these things as well, so so uh, our listeners have more information on those. But it's important to know you don't want to just be trying to raise up those histamine levels um, before you know better. And, and that's why we're giving you this background information. So um, these, the histamine-relating uh, degrading enzymes uh, that we mentioned, uh, DAO and HNMT, can definitely be, um, be a big part of, you know, especially the wheat and dairy and, and anything that causes inflammation, which I know I've got mold here on the list and we're going to get into, and I am a, a big proponent of these mold biotoxins have to be worked with. They are a big, big reason why a child will not recover from autism. They're one of those co-infections I mentioned in um, my, my four stages. So I'll link to uh, another episode on that for you as well. But Dr. O'Hara, why don't we talk about, um, since we've kind of gone through the uh, the histamines, next on the list, uh, you had mentioned low nutrients. And most kids with autism do have low nutrients and low absorption of their food because their gut's not working properly. So they're not absorbing the nutrition even if they're eating good food. So low nutrients would be next. What, what would you have to say about those and histamine sensitivities? 
So we know specifically that things like low omega-3 fatty acids, not enough saturated fat, low B6, low B12, dysregulated iron, and that's a whole topic on itself is the iron regulation, um, and low copper. These are cofactors for these histamine um, degrading enzymes. Magnesium is big. Zinc is a big one. And so if we don't have those, even if we don't have genetic variants in methylation or for HNMT or for the DAO enzyme, then people can have functional issues with those enzymes. And so that's why if we can check those micronutrients, I really like to check them. Um, I know a lot of kids on the spectrum struggle with blood draws, so I don't ever want to introduce stress that way if it's the stress. Um, but I do have some clients on the spectrum that can tolerate blood draws, so we try to get those nutrient statuses if we can. If we can't, we can actually get some of those through urine. And um, really checking those and finding out what those statuses are. Yeah, I like doing a, there's urine saliva tests, various things that you can do for, depending on what you're looking for, where we can avoid a blood draw. And besides, not, we don't always get accurate results from the blood work, I find as well. So the low nutrients, um, omegas, so of course, omega-3 fatty acids are very, very important for children with autism and making sure that your child can absorb them properly as well. So uh, do you have anything else to say about uh, nutrients? Well, here's the trick with those omega-3 fatty acids is most people supplement with fish oils. And fish oils, one, have a problem with being rancid. Um, there's a lot of controversy over labeling, and a lot of times fish oils aren't really what the label says they are. Sometimes they're contaminated with metals. So we have to be really, really careful there. Now, some people with histamine intolerance that don't also have mast cell activation syndrome or if they have mast cell activation but don't have histamine intolerance may tolerate some fish oil or some cod liver oil but those fish oils are really high histamine and that ends up being uh, a tricky place to figure out well how are you going to support these omega-3 fatty acids i have found a product that has been generally well tolerated if they're not um, if they're not allergic reactions to fish, and it's called SPM Active. It's made by Metagenics. I don't have any um, interest in the company or involvement with it. It's just what I found. There's something about the processing that's lower histamine. I have significant histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome myself, and that's the only omega-3 product I've been able to get on board that didn't cause histamine reactions, and I'm seeing that working really well for people in my practice. Interesting. Okay, we'll have to look into it. Yeah, omegas, there are so many. I tell people to never just go to a, a store and just buy something off the shelf because there are a lot of really bad and, as you mentioned, rancid omega products. And not all have the PCBs and the, the contaminants from the fish properly extracted from them, and then you can get more. So it's very important that you know that you have a good product with omega-3s. Um, so let's talk about inflammation then. That leads us into uh, some more inflammation aspects. Um, and then uh, you've got uh, mold on there, and I know mold is a big inflammatory, chronic inflammatory response syndrome is its nickname. Right. And so when we, when we move into this whole area of infections and toxicity, anything that causes chronic, any, anything where you have a chronic 
long-standing infection is going to cause elevated histamine levels over time. Because remember we talked about in the very beginning is that histamine is a part of the immune response. It's a really important part of the immune response. But our bodies are designed to have an acute infection, fight it off, recover, and then get a rest period from those high histamine levels. So it should be rising and falling as needed with the immune response. But when we have these low-grade chronic infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus, there's some of the herpes viruses like 6 and 7 that attack the nervous system and the brain and some other types. Um, even candida and especially mold leads to this chronic immune response, this chronic high histamine. And mold is such a huge one. And so people talk about fears with mold and mass activation syndrome often follows with chronic mold and chronic Lyme issues. And I think we talked about in the last podcast that often when the treatments are done, people still having symptoms, it may not be even Lyme or mold if that's been dealt with. It can be now this mass activation syndrome that's flared up. And those, all of those pathogens, so the bacteria, the viruses, the parasites, the fungal infections like candida and mold, they all produce toxins as part of their metabolic process and especially when they die off. And so when you go into the killing protocols, you're going to get more and more toxin buildup there. And that toxic buildup, if it's not being addressed properly, so if the uh, intestinal excretion isn't being addressed with binders and things that support the gallbladder and the kidneys aren't supported properly and the phase two detox isn't supported, then you can get um, these toxic buildups that make the histamine issues and mast cell issues worse. Yeah, it's really important to um, have binders in there and, and like I mentioned, supporting the liver and lymphatic systems. A lot of people, even with diet, will go in and, and they'll start correcting things and or trying to, and they don't realize they've got to have things to support the, the uh, detoxification systems before they're doing that to, to support the child's body so that you don't get worse reactions. We're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about histamine sensitivities and autism, and we have Dr. Beth O'Hara with us. And before the break, we were talking about the chronic inflammatory responses that can come from things like mold, Lyme, and even candida as it's dying off. And a lot of parents will, you know, we, we get really eager to get our child better as fast as we can, and we think, oh, we'll, we'll try to do a lot really quickly, but I really, really want to caution you, and I really, really, uh, you know, promote this strongly in my own mentoring program that I have, that it is so important to know to move slowly, move forward slowly, one thing at a time, watch for symptoms, never get a new, uh, new supplement uh, more than two days, two to three days apart, because you want to watch, as we mentioned here earlier in the show, it can be a couple of days before you might see symptoms from something that was given a couple of days prior, or there can be a buildup uh, of, of things depending on what it is. So you want to make sure your child's body can tolerate what you're giving them and that they're able to excrete these um, um, safely and, and effectively uh, because symptoms will get much worse, both both physically 
uh, and behaviorally. And that's when sometimes parents go, oh, this isn't working or this is bad for them. I'm just going to stop everything. And then they just stop too. So it, that's the matter of is that, that happy medium, but it really is even less than medium. It's going as slowly as possible. So beyond the inflammatory pieces, and again, you know, binders, liver support, lymphatic support, um, very, very important. Um, um, Dr. O'Hara, you were also then mentioning um, things that are affected or the hormones and how they're affected. And I noticed this with my own son and many other parents that that, uh, I work with also mentioned, you know, as puberty approaches, the especially for males that just surge of testosterone really seems to uh, take effect and have and I know that mercury in the system it can be part of that if there's heavy metal toxicity it can make puberty so much worse um, so how are the hormones then affected by the um, the aspects of of histamines absolutely and I just Really glad that you brought up the point about going slow on these protocols because I see so many people that um, were overeager or their practitioner was overeager, very well-meaning, but not fully understanding this mast cell involvement. And what happens is if we go too fast, we can start what's called a mast cell cascade. And this is where... If you're too aggressive, you get too much of the toxins build up, you get the immune system getting even more stirred up, and the mast cells start to degranulate, which means they release their inflammatory molecules. It triggers the surrounding mast cells to degranulate. They release their inflammation, which triggers the surrounding mast cells. And you can imagine it, it grows exponentially and here's the thing is once those mast cells get dysregulated they live a really long time they can live over a year and i've seen where it's taking people over a year to get that stuff calmed back down so i always tell people in my practice slow is fast and fast is slow when we're dealing with these things because we don't want to tip somebody into that mast cell cascade and when we're thinking about hormones So hormone disruption is involved here, especially things like when we get into puberty, like you're talking about, we get all these hormone changes. When there's low cortisol, um, cortisol helps stabilize mast cells, and it's a type of natural antihistamine. And estrogen dominance is also a big one. And so, and what we have to remember is estrogen dominance doesn't just mean high estrogen. You can have low estrogen levels, but if the progesterone is lower in relationship to the estrogen, then that's estrogen dominance too. And estrogen will also drive histamine levels. So these can all be a factor when we're seeing <clears throat> symptoms getting worse at puberty. And for girls, if the symptoms are changing through the cycle and it works at different points in the cycle, then that's when I think it's time to take a look at the hormones. Also, if there's that, um, you know, what we often call adrenal fatigue and the cortisol is suspected to be low, supporting the adrenals can help a lot with the histamine intolerance. So we've got that hormone piece. We've got other toxins. So these can be things like VOCs and formaldehyde from new furniture and new construction, metals that we've talked about, pesticides, even chlorine and shower water and swimming pools, especially if your child has any itching, um, skin symptoms, 
or worse, sleep on swimming days in a chlorinated swimming pool. That's something to think about. And there's actually chlorine filters that are very affordable. You can put in the shower, bath filters that are very affordable. And um, I've got some links to some of them on my website. We can um, talk about I've got some resources up for people. And anything we can do to get that toxin exposure down, um, any kind of chemical toxins, we've got to we've got to lower it. And then we touched on genetics a little bit. One of the things I want to point out is if anybody's looking at their child's genetics, if you're looking at it yourself, um, H and M T variants are common. And so if you see some single variants, what's called heterozygous variants. On the HNMT, it may not be a big deal for your child, but those variants are not common on a gene that makes DAO enzyme, and that gene is called ABP1 and AOC1, so it doesn't have the same name. There's actually a DAO gene that works on a different pathway, a glutamate pathway. So if you're looking for genes for DAO, you're looking for ABP1, AOC1, and I see even single variants there can affect that DAO production. And then we have to look upstream and downstream at everything that affects the gut, the things that affect methylation. And so when I'm doing a genetic analysis for people with mast cell activation, histamine tolerance, autism spectrum disorders, I'm looking at over 10,000 variants that are all interrelated here. So we can't pull these genetics apart and isolate them. They all are functioning in unison. We have to look at how the relationships are between all of those different variants. And then the last two I want to hit on are stress and EMFs. So any chronic stress affects cortisol signaling. It affects that hypothalamus, pituitary adrenal axis, and can cause elevated histamine levels. People can actually stress themselves out into a histamine response without any other trigger. And I've seen that happen quite a bit where somebody gets some bad news, they get upset, they start flushing, they start getting, they might get rashes, um, they can start to have drops in blood pressure. And when your child has autism, the world itself is stressful. And so um, even though we, we don't want to isolate them from the world, whatever we can do to help them lower their own stress levels and cope with life makes a huge difference. Yeah, I'm a big proponent too of, well, of course, adrenal adaptogens and something to support the adrenal glands on the way too through all of this. As you're detoxifying, that's another stressor on the system. Plus, they have the sensory processing issues and everything else to go with it. Um, and exercise, I think, has, is, uh, it does show to be really helpful as well um, to, to help to helping reduce the stress level in a child, uh, the correct one for that child anyway, the correct type of exercise. Uh, we need to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. Well, hi there and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and 
Today we're talking about histamine sensitivities in autism, and we have Dr. Beth O'Hara with us, who is an expert in this field. Before the break, we were talking about the stress factor and how it's important to keep um, stress low or to do things to support the system. There are some really great natural adrenal adaptogens and things that can be helpful on this journey because um, not only do our children have uh, environmental sensitivities and sensory processing disorders and things that really trigger stress in their system for them, um, but then you know various foods, which we'll get into a little bit here too, uh, but so stress, keeping stress as low as possible. And then um, the, the last one we haven't mentioned, and I want to make sure we, we just at least go into it because I'm a, a big proponent of protecting yourself from them, are EMFs, electromagnetic field pollution. I did an entire, I've done two or three shows on EMFs, and I link to, uh, I've done some in, intense research and found the one product uh, that um, that I refer to, and you can find those at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash EMF to learn more about them because you really want to protect your children and yourself from electromagnetic field uh, uh, pollution. So, um, Dr. O'Hara, can you talk about how EMFs are affected by uh, or create histamines or, or create problems with histamines? Yeah, absolutely. So, there was a lot of suspicion that EMFs were causing mast cell degranulation. Dr. Theo Herides, who's one of the world's top mast cell researchers, had done an unpublished study on this, and then someone published the research just this year showing that EMFs definitively are causing mast cell degranulation, especially in the brain. Even just the amount of radiation that's coming off of a cell phone initiating a phone call. And so this is huge, and we're surrounded by EMFs constantly. I think this is one of the factors, along with toxicity, increased toxicity, along with our changes in our food processing, are why we have such an increase in the rate of autism. Also, things like certain cancers and um, other chronic disorders. So we have these things we're exposed to that we didn't have 100, 200 years ago. So the EMS, I agree with you, is huge. And we have to think about Wi-Fi routers. We have to think about how often the child is on the um, device. And that's one of the things um, I love that you're emphasizing and I work with too is doing an EMS assessment to see how much exposure the kid's getting. Do they have a digital clock next to their bed? Um, are they sleeping with a tablet or phone plugged in next to the bed? Those kinds of things. Um, it sounds really simple, but it makes a huge difference to change those for children that are electrically sensitive. And I have yet to seen, see a child on the spectrum who didn't have um, EMF sensitivity. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of the one of the triggers these days that is actually very much contributing to autism. And as we increase our EMF exposure, we're going into looking at 5Gs here in the future or even currently happening in already some larger cities. Uh, that can be really, really uh, making changes or, or even preventing recoveries. So again, important to know some of those triggers. And um, and then again, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to uh, to uh, some, some solutions for that as well. And uh, so why don't we talk maybe a little bit about food? I know that, you know, or symptoms, symptoms and food, I think are the two last things that we need to make sure that we're covering. So what, what, what really should parents look for when they think, oh, my child might be really having some histamine responses and then what should I do about it? 
Okay, sure. So I want to say that there's so much information on these root causes that I know we can't get into all of them, but I have a free report on um, my website at masscell360.com slash free report. And that goes into the root causes of mast cell activation syndrome and pretty much the same for histamine intolerance. So you can get a lot more info there. And when you're looking for symptoms, things that you're looking for are like itching, whether it's eyes, ears, nose, throat, or skin, flushing, redness of the skin, especially we see a lot of cheek flushing. Um, if there are dark circles under the eyes, that's a pretty um, clear indicator. Rashes, um, and you can get hives, eczema, psoriasis, swelling of the face, the mouth, the throat, the nasal passages. Uh, anytime like there's excess mucus, so if you have throat clearing, like <clears throat> that kind of thing where somebody's trying to clear the mucus coming down the back of the throat, that post-nasal drip. People, also symptoms people can get are heartburn, um, reflux, indigestion, diarrhea or alternating diarrhea and constipation. Low blood pressure is common but not necessary. There's also a lot of links between anxiety, panic-like symptoms, mood changes. Um, headaches are common and people don't have to have all of those because it depends on which systems are being affected and which histamine receptors are being affected. But also if people are having symptoms from like the fermented foods that we've talked about, the kombucha, veggies, bone broth, kefir, yogurt, um, some of the other high histamine foods, just remembering those reactions can be delayed. But if you're seeing any of those reactions, it's a good idea to check out is this histamine intolerance for mast cell activation for your child? Because if it is, and again, I think it's what I see is everyone I've seen on the autism spectrum has this issue that may be because of the type of practice I have, but I really think it's 75% or higher, um, if not just really the vast majority of everyone with autism spectrum disorders have this. There's so much research linking histamine intolerance and mast cell activation to autism. So when we go to the foods, the, um, some of the things that are really high histamine are leftovers that have sat for over 24 hours. So it's really good to freeze the leftovers. And um, it's pretty easy to do if you freeze them in individual serving uh, containers, salads, things like that, of course, don't freeze well, but they can be made fresh that day. And uh, anything that's a ground meat, and meats are um, an issue in general. I have a um, foods list here that people can get, and that's at masscell360.com slash MCAS hyphen resources. And I forgot to send you that for the show notes, Karen, but I do have a really good food list there. The reason I made that is there's hundreds of food lists online but they're not all based in research. And so you'll get a lot of um, confusing discrepancies like this list says blueberries are okay, this list says blueberries aren't okay, what is it? Um, so this list I have for people is based on that research. Okay, and I will definitely link to it in the show notes. Uh, again, the show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 550. Uh, we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We will be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? 
After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi there and welcome back to naturally recovering autism i'm your host karen thomas and today we have dr beth o'hara with us and we're talking about histamine sensitivities and autism and i will be linking because there's so many things that we have talked about in this show um, between mast cell activation and and mold biotoxins and then of course this list for uh, foods, uh, of, of histamine-related foods, um, I will link to everything in the show notes. Again, they will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 50. So we have just a few minutes left here, and I, I'd like to ask you, Dr. O'Hara, what can parents do? What would the next steps be? What, what, are, what are options? Okay, so there's basically, I would say, three options, <laughs> two not great ones, one really good one. Uh, we can do nothing. We can go the traditional route of medications, or we can do the work that you and I do, Karen, looking at those root causes and the functional approach. The unfortunate thing is that if parents, if you don't do anything for this, histamine intolerance and mast cell activation are progressive if it's not addressed. And that means the symptoms are going to continue to accelerate. If the immune system is dysregulated, it's harder to fight off infections and so on. There is a traditional route of medications like antihistamines, but they're just masking symptoms. And histamine intolerance and mass activation syndrome are progressive if you just use the pharmaceuticals. I'm not anti-medication, and I'm not saying that if somebody needs meds, they shouldn't use them. But people need to know that if that's the only thing you do for mast activation syndrome or histamine intolerance, it is progressive and those medications have a lot of side effects. So managing histamine intolerance and mast activation syndrome, I always tell people it takes work, but I know your audience knows this. They've been through this. You guys have been in the trenches working on this for a long time. And so the approach that does work is what you and I do, Karen, and that's to dig in, to identify these root causes, address the root causes, support the nutrient cofactors, address the food changes needed. This is what really allows kids to heal and improve and get their lives back. And I see this again and again in my practice. And there, I tell you, everybody that comes in, even though they've seen other practitioners, and usually when people get to me, they've seen 10 practitioners, um, everyone's always missing a couple of the big pieces. But when we take the time to dig in and get the whole history, we find those major pieces. I had a client who had spent tons of money, but nobody had run something called a neurozoomer, which I love for people on the spectrum. And this client had two active herpes infections that were attacking the brain. 
I also know this from my own experience, Karen. So one thing I just wanted to share with your audience is that I had a lot of autism symptoms myself as a child. Um, so on the, I was verbal and the higher functioning end, but social delays, tons of anxiety, horrible insomnia. And I really struggled up until I learned how to do this kind of root cause analysis and did it on myself. I figured out I had mass activation syndrome. I figured out I had histamine intolerance. I got my brain back. I got my life back. I got to go back to graduate school. I was delayed, so I didn't get to go back until my 30s. Um, but I got, I got back, you know, I'm functioning, I'm fully functioning. Whereas in my twenties, I wasn't really functioning. And as a teenager, I was really struggling. And so I feel like if we find these major puzzle pieces for your kid, then they can get better. And that's what it's about is not giving up, continuing to do the work until you put all the puzzle pieces together. And I see that over and over in my practice. That's what worked for me to heal. And I just see such amazing improvements with this kind of process that we're both doing, Karen. And um, outside of really significant physical brain damage, I really think everyone can improve if we just unlock the right keys to what those root factors are for them. I totally agree. And I thank you for um, sharing that with uh, with us. Uh, I know um, for a parent listening, it's really encouraging to hear positive stories and you have your own. Having gone from having trouble being able to think or focus in a classroom or struggle to going to grad school and, and now, you know, having a normally functioning life. This These are the types of things that can happen for our kids. It did happen for my own son as well. It's not that there's a low IQ. IQ or they just, you know, or aggressive. And I hate to even mention it, but these horrible incidences of these shootings and things that are happening today, this past week, there was, were some, and, um, and these kids have been put on these psychotropic drugs that cause them to just go out of their minds if they could just get the help that they needed naturally and really work with these natural these symptoms, these, these, not just the symptoms, but the causes. And that's everything that I'm about is finding what is the root cause and then, you know, helping our kids with it so that they can be calm and enjoy their life and, and live a, a naturally fulfilling life as they deserve as well. So we're out of time today. Thank you so much, Dr. O'Hara, for being here with us. I greatly appreciate it. Again, all the show notes will be at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 50. And uh, we're going to be here next week again. Please stay tuned or come back. We we hope to, to have you back and continue to help you out with your child and on your journey. And again, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Thank you 